And I'm still just reeling from the like awesomeness of this play and the ride that you get to go on from this script. To everybody out there, welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Yes, welcome, welcome to each and every one of you. Thank you for tuning back in this week. We're through September right now, right? In the middle of September, headed towards the end of September in this weird year of 2020. We've we've mentioned before how lucky we are that this podcast is able to continue so easily because we are strictly social distancing when we make this podcast. Right. Not just by six feet, of course, by by hundreds and hundreds of miles. State lines are crossing. <laughs> and of course, I, I mentioned to my wife the other day we were talking about Zoom and the prevalence of Zoom right now. And I did play like the hipster card that we were using Zoom before it was cool. <laughs> it's true. We were. Back when most people didn't know what Zoom was. We were making the podcast via Zoom and then the Zoom boom happened. And I was right. like, Oh great. I'm 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 down for Zoom. It was awesome. Right. It was awesome back in twenty eighteen when we started. We were on board. Well, that has kept us doing these plays, kept us being able to have these conversations, and we are very grateful for that and very grateful to all of you who continue to be a part of these conversations out there in podcast land. And this week, we're doing it again, obviously. Otherwise, you wouldn't be hearing from us. We're coming at you with another great play this week, a new playwright for the podcast, though. That's right. We're discussing a play by playwright Lauren Yee, and her play, The Great Leap, is the subject of our conversation today. I'd never read the play, never seen it before. We knew that it had been produced at Steppenwolf last year, which is a theater we both love a lot. So when we're always looking for great scripts to discuss, their seasons are a great place that we love to look as well. And mm-hmm. wow, what an awesome play. <laughs> what an incredible play. So I, I had a busy week, and I read it for the first time two hours ago. And I'm still just reeling from the like awesomeness of this play and the ride that you get to go on from this script. So I'm stoked to get to talk about it today. Before we head over to talking about Patreon before the conversation, though, we want to have one more pre-conversation conversation, conversation, which is to let all of you who didn't stay through the end of last week's episode know that Up and Coming is our themed month for the season. Yes, our themed month coming up. Those of you who are longtime listeners of the show know that we do themed months every season. That's four weeks where we focus on one central theme within plays and talk about plays that contain that central theme. Um, this we, this year, not this week, this, this season, um, we will be talking about monologues. So it's monologue month. Sort of. <laughs> sort of. If you want to, if you want a complicated discursus on why we picked it, go and listen to the end of yeah, last the episode. the end of last week's episode, we go into why we're calling it monologue month. But yeah. needless to say, it's a, well, actually not needless to say, very important to say <laughs> is that this is a month of one person shows. So we went with monologue month. You can figure out why last week, but it, it's a month of one person shows. We're really excited to do that. One person shows make up a 
just a great body of literature, a great group of scripts to read. Of course, there's some very famous ones that we'll be talking about, some less than famous but still excellent ones that we'll be talking about. We are very much looking forward to it. Uh, as a as a just a nod towards the Patreon conversation that's about to happen. If you are a patron, you already know the four scripts we're planning You've to been talk about on it. for Monologue Month. That's one of the perks of being a patron of the show. You get that early access look at what scripts are coming up. So those of you who are patrons, I hope you're as excited as we are about the scripts. For those who aren't, you'll still get to know on the Wednesday before the episode is released, just like normal. But October is monologue month. Get excited because we are. Absolutely. And I'll just piggyback on what Jacob said to move us into thanking our patrons so much for supporting the podcast. As you all know, this is a labor labor of love for us. We love doing this show. We love getting to talk to each other about scripts and all of you and and having conversations around some of the greatest plays in theater literature. Of course, as you know, this podcast is not a free endeavor for us. There are podcast hosting fees. There are script buying prices. There is hours spent cutting out all the times that I cough on a track. And that is a meaningful amount of time that is spent for those. And so we want to thank everyone who has made the decision to head on over to patreon.com slash no script podcast and support the show for those, those non free things. Thank you all so much for going over to patreon.com and doing that. Uh, when you, if, if you are looking for a way to uh, be involved in no script and ensuring we get to still have these conversations with everyone, you can find us over there on patreon.com slash no script podcast. And when you get there, you'll see a bunch of different tiers of membership. The lowest tier being just $1. And at that $1 amount, $12 over the course of a year, you are helping out the show enormously in just, in just those kind of upkeep expenses of the show. So thank you to everyone who has already done so and headed over there, uh, for the rest of you, we will see you if you are looking for us over there at patreon.com slash podcast. And now, back to the script. Here we go! All right. So, The Great Leap is a relatively new play. It was first produced. It was in 2018. It was commissioned by the Denver Theater Center. And uh, it was also then performed at the Seattle Rep in that spring of 2018. So, barely two years old. It transferred off-Broadway in the summer of 2018 and played at the Atlantic Theater Company. There, B.D. Wong, the incredible actor B.D. Wong, played Wen Chang. Uh, You may know him from... From Law and Order SVU, that's his sort of popular culture role. But but lots of the the stages and and the theater memory in the country remembers him from his incredible performance in M Butterfly. Now that's sort of fun because. M. Butterfly is, of course, by David Henry Huang, who we talked about his play Yellow Face just a couple of weeks ago. And B.D. Wong was famous for his role in that play. And B.D. Wong is also mentioned over and over and over in Yellow Face. So it was fun to have that in the, like, the back of my mind, having just read it a few weeks ago, and then come to learn about this script and learn that B.D. Wong, in fact, played the role off-Broadway, a, a role in this script. B.D. Wong, if you didn't know this, this is just a fun fact. For his role in M. Butterfly, he remains the only actor in Broadway history ever to win the Tony Award, the Drama Desk Award, the Outer Circle Critics Award, the Clarence Derwin Award, and the Theater World Award for the same role in the same year. Yeah. 
Man, like that's that's a win record. That's just a heck of an achievement. I mean, holy <laughs> buckets. Way to go, man. And it's exciting that, that uh, you were in this production. I, I like to read reviews of the plays to sort of catch up on how people are thinking and talking about the plays. And the reviews for this show, the, the production that was off-Broadway, they're all titled something like, B.D. Wong can still capture a stage. B.D. Wong can still carry a show. I mean, the reviews of him were excellent, and it's a great part in the show. Just an incredibly great part. So it'll be fun to talk about that character. Um, it played in the fall of 2019 at Steppenwolf, which is, of course, we mentioned that at the beginning of the show. Another interesting context of the play that I think is important before we get into the synopsis is the title. And the title is, uh, it's a pun in the sense that it's a play on words. Um, it pulls from both athleticism, basketball, and Chinese history. Of course, the Great Leap Forward in the People's Republic of China, 1958 to 1962, that was Mao Zedong's attempt to get to sort of move the Chinese economy and society from this rural agrarian society to his envisioned communist society. Of course, huge, utter disaster caused the Great Chinese Famine, ended up killing millions of people. Yeah, yeah, just a, a tragically failed social experiment. Right. And so Chinese society obviously develops from that into the period after the Great Leap Forward, which is the period that this play takes place in. Um, there's two time periods for the play. I'll let Jackson talk about that. But it's important to know that the title is a reference both to that and then the Great Leap being sort of a reference to the, the leaping and jumping that is the sport of basketball. Yeah, so that's the kind of historical uh, realm that we're jumping into. Is this is this play on words in, in the title itself? That is the that is the, the where you'll find the title is in that that historicism. It's brought up in the play too, but it is certainly referencing that timeline there. I'm going to jump into the synopsis of the play. I don't often do this in the synopses uh, that I do uh, for these plays, but I would almost recommend that if you have not read The Great Leap, and uh, if you are about to listen to this podcast about it and you don't want it spoiled, pause and go read the play, because it is an incredible just really well done play that keeps you in suspense throughout, keeps you guessing at things and keeps you and throws unexpected things at you that I was actually like, I've read a lot of scripts for this play, for this podcast. And I was, I don't often get surprised by plot points and I was surprised by plot points in this play. So um, I would, I would, I would recommend that because I'm just, I'm going to go in and spoil it for you now. Yeah. And, As and Revelation, <laughs> which is a playwriting, you know, technique and storytelling moment, the moment when things that are secret are revealed to the characters where new information is discovered and it changes the course of the plot. That, that's a huge element of this story. <laughs> and right, it happens exactly. several times more than in other cases, I think that revelation, new information, changing the direction of the story is huge for this play. So that's why spoiling those pieces, which we're just going to have to do to talk about the play, it, it may dampen the reading experience for you, especially for this script if you've never read it before. Yeah. So that being said, I'm going to jump in here. As Jacob said, there are two main timelines to this play and they are woven together beautifully throughout the play. So part of the joy of reading it is finding out these things from the different timelines throughout the play as they're both running side by side. But for the synopsis, I'm going to focus on one at a time. There's the uh, early timeline, which is the summer and fall of 1971. 
And then there is the 18 or 1989 timeline, which is May and June. So two months in, uh, or the summer and the fall of 1971, and then two months of 1989. So the, uh, early, uh, earlier timeline is the timeline of Saul and Wen Chang. Now I'm going to introduce all the characters at once here. Saul is a American Jewish basketball coach. Um, he coaches at the University of San Francisco men's basketball team. He goes over to China when China opens up for the first time in a very long time um, to uh, teach the basketball team there to play for the University of Beijing. There he meets Wen Chang, who uh, becomes the coach of that of Beijing University after having shadowed Saul as his interpreter the whole time and learning his language. The scenes between them are this are this uh, kind of diplomacy, two cultures coming up against each other scenes where uh, you, you're mostly from, in that timeline, you're mostly from Wen Chang's perspective. He's the storyteller of that relationship. And uh, you learn about Saul's original visit to China, where he he taught for uh, a couple months and then left, leaving Wen Chang in charge of the uh, basketball team for the University of Beijing. That's the broad sweep of those interactions early on in in uh, 1971. Then the the main storyline, I would say, or the main timeline of the play is actually in the 89 1989 timeline, and that it concerns. Manford, who is a 17-year-old high school Chinese-American um, basketball player. He loves to play basketball, and the first scene of the play is him coming in and pitching himself to Saul um, so that he can get on the team, the, the, the basketball team at San Francisco uh, University. Um he he comes in. He pitches himself to the team. He he goes through the the a variety of trials, including shooting a hundred free throws and and missing the last one to uh, coming back and uh, and uh, and tr- eventually convincing Saul to let him be on the team. Um, the other character that you need to know about, we've heard three of the four so far. So you have Manford, who is the uh, 17-year-old student. Saul, who's the coach of the team. Wen Chang, who is the uh, interpreter from 1971 and then the coach of the basketball team in 1989, who we, we will meet again in a moment. And then Connie, who is Manford's cousin slash caretaker slash aunt slash upstairs neighbor. Uh, (laughs) All of those things somehow combined into one person, given the kind of closeness of the community in Chinatown, Manford um, loses his mother prior to the events of the play. Uh, Immediately prior to the events of the play, he shows up at at the gym to kind of pitch himself for the team in his funeral clothes. And we slowly find out that he has just come from the funeral. So he is living with Connie and Connie's family, and they've kind of taken him in as their son. And Connie serves as kind of an aunt figure for him. The team that Saul is running is has passed its normal school season and is about to go for an exhibition game to China, a friendship match between China and San Francisco. Um, it's uh, Saul likes to refer to it as a rematch, even though uh, he he's never apparently played a uh, a match against Beijing University, and uh, he's returning to bring his team to uh, the university to play Wen Chang's team. Uh, with the uh, with the uh, prior knowledge that Saul has said that no Chinese team will ever beat an American team, right? So and, and he said that just after his visit to the University of Beijing in 1971, 
after coaching up the University of Beijing basketball team and leaving behind, you know, the, his thought about like how to play American tough, really good basketball. And apparently when he gets back to America, the story goes, he says, don't worry about it. No Chinese basketball team will ever beat an American team. And in the story of the play, the Chinese government holds on to that as this sort of grudge statement for 18 years and has invested a ton of energy into making the best basketball team possible so they can bring an American team back and crush them. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. So those are the building blocks of the play and then kind of broad story things begin to develop. There's some tension around whether or not Manford can get to China because he's a high school student. So he has to get a bunch of permissions to, as to whether or not he can get there or not. There's also uh, questions of motivation. Uh, Connie finds out that Manford is skipping school to make it to the basketball practice. She asks him, why is this happening? Why are you playing basketball? You know, you'll never make it part of the part of the the. Uh, Tension in the play is Manford is short for a basketball player. He's still taller than most of us. Um, he's six foot two, and uh, well, and- I don't know that he's six foot two. He claims to be six foot two, but Saul says like you're more like five 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 ten. So yeah, yeah. I, the playwright I think gives some flexibility for you to to pick the actual height of the actor, but he's short. He's and I, actually I think he has to be less than six foot, doesn't he? Because Saul and him go back and forth several times about. Um, you know, are there any famous point guards who were shorter point guards who were shorter than six feet? And he does right. manage to come up with some. So I think he's <laughs> That's fair. he's short. Now I'm not even six foot tall, so he's probably about my height, but I'm a short guy. Right, right. So and and he's he's in a, he's in a game where height matters, um, and uh, and and playing basketball matters. So there's uh, yeah yeah. <laughs> so there's lots of uh, Connie worrying about him putting this much time into basketball when he won't probably won't have a career as a result of it. So there's there's some worry around that. There's the eventual revelation, and this is the big spoiler. I feel like we learn that Manford has learned that his mother, who has recently died. Um, had a brief relationship with Wen Chang, um, and Wen Chang is, in fact, his father. Um, So part of Manford's uh, reason for going to China for this game is to try to confront his father, because he knows that he will be there. Long story short, I'm going to try to pick us up to get to the end of this. They get to China. um, They're they're about to play their game. Manfred gets lost in Tiananmen Square with protesters. This is uh, 1989, so a... it's right. a it's so, an important date, <laughs> and I probably should have said that in the context that the the basketball game that's happening in the present moment of the play is occurring dur- during the major student uprising uh, that includes the famous Tiananmen Square showdowns. So that is going on actively around them, and in fact, it's one of the reasons Connie doesn't want Manford to go to China, especially because there's extra scrutiny on him when he goes to China because he's a Chinese American. Um, in the midst of this political turmoil, she fears he'll get not just in the sort of pseudo trouble that Manford gets in because he's kind of a rabble rouser, but he can talk himself out of in America, but real trouble in China. Right, right, right. So he gets lost uh, in Tiananmen Square, separated from the group. Maybe. Um, he ends up, yeah. <laughs> he's he there for up, some reason. <laughs> he's there for some reason. It's not disclosed. We're giving him the charitable one, and that's uh, that he's in the square. He gets a picture taken of him amongst the protesters. He joins in the chant of USA. And so the government finds out, and they tell Wen Chang that he has to be sure the student does not play the game. Now, um... 
that leads to some more tension. Saul wants to play him still, uh, but eventually they have to kind of, uh, Saul tells Manfred that he can't play. The game starts to go. The game uh, begins to uh, be lost by the USA team um, because they, they're they a little bit dependent on Manfred at this point. And the the uh, kind of the big moment of the play, this, this last chunk of the play is the game all four quarters of the game narrated by the characters manford runs in in the fourth quarter um and turns the game around um and they they then they eventually end up winning the game by way of a lot of people making a lot of sacrifices um the uh specifically wen chang who has to decide to let him play the game um that's kind. Of, that's kind of where the play ends. The game. The game ends. Uh, Wen Chang has a final monologue um, that is a very powerful monologue in which, kind of imaginatively, the playwright transforms Wen Chang into the famous man with suitcases picture in front of the tank. Yeah, the famous um, white from, shirt guy who stares down those tanks in the street. She borrows yeah. that and kind of makes Wen Chang into that person historically. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 the end of the play. So it's it's a wild ride. There's a lot of great history kind of wrapped in, but those are the those are the broad sweeps of the play. Now, playwright Lauren Yee writes at the beginning of the script that she has created this play partially sort of as a way to honor her father, who was a Chinese American and who was sort of famous in her neighborhood of San Francisco for being a basketball player. Now, he was never a professional basketball player, but he was good enough that apparently as she was growing up, pretty much anybody who came to talk to her about her dad would tell her what a great basketball player he was. And he apparently did, in fact, go to China and play a series of exhibition games. He was playing for the Americans against the Chinese teams, but in the real story, they got crushed. <laughs> um, right. So, and that, that that does seem to be what's going to happen in this play until Manfred sort of steps in and saves everyone. Now, Jackson, this is a play about basketball, obviously, basketball teams, basketball players. The climactic scenes of the play is an all-out basketball team. As we know, basketball is five on five. There's ten people <laughs> on the court at a time. It's insane. But this is a four-character play. Yeah. Four yeah. actors. <laughs> Only one of them plays basketball in the entire show. Right, right. So it's a very imaginative play. There's lots of uh, filled in space that you have to fill in with your imagination and with the um, the uh, representation of the actors, right? So so the, the versions that I've seen of this play on, on YouTube are all very mimed. Like there is no, there isn't a, the, the scenes that I watch, there is no basketball on stage. They're miming the basketball. It's a very... Um, visually imaginative play that uh, leaves a lot of room for your imagination to just go to town in in even when it's on stage, let alone in the reading of the play. Yeah, and that I think really, really works well. I also have watched a number of clips. I watched some where there are basketballs and some where there's not. In fact, she says at the beginning of the script in her notes, like, maybe you'll choose to use basketballs, maybe you won't. Um, but what works so well is the is that during that basketball game at the end, it's so intensely narrated by the four characters. They describe every action, every moment so carefully. And then when you 
bring that play to life and the actor playing Manford is adding in uh, what need to be, I think, really rehearsed, well-blocked basketball movements to represent the action of the game, what you get is a really intense, beautiful experience where the game is reflected on the characters, right? Because the game ultimately is not all that important. As you mentioned, the climactic moments of the game are not whether the USA team is going to win or lose. It's what it costs the characters to have the game go forward, to have certain things happen in the game. And because we don't have to focus on 10 basketball players and finding a story amidst that, we get to watch the people who are actually making the sacrifices in their personal lives, in their journeys, in their goals, their narration of the action. Yeah, yeah. So it's the, the the truly compelling stuff is is these people separated out on different corners of the stage that are actually over a broad distance. Connie's uh, amongst the people on stage narrating the end of the play, and she's in San Francisco still. <laughs> so so you get you get all these place, people in all of their places, all speaking into this one moment. And in in the reading of the play, at least, I was so enraptured by the by that reading that I had a hard time. I'm looking over at the at the names to like follow who was talking because it was just like such a a uh, a live bit of writing that that was narrating the game as it was happening. And it, it's interesting because I I also didn't really pay much attention to the character names as I was reading through, and I found that I actually really didn't need them. It, she had written the lines of this final sort of stream of consciousness description of the basketball game so well to be, on the one hand, a description of the action so you know what's going on, but every short line is a description of the action from a character's perspective. So... Like, um, they're describing this, I'll just read a couple of lines here, they're just describing this final moment of the game, and when Chang says, in a moment you will end this game, you have to, but 18 years, what's one moment more? Saul, as he plays the game of his life, Manford, seizing my biological destiny, Connie, connecting passes, finding routes, Saul, and you wonder who taught this kid how to play. I mean, you can tell, even if I hadn't read those character names, if you were familiar with the play, you can tell who's saying each of those lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can you can tell why they would be speaking into that moment that way, and 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 yeah, th- that really there's no one else who could be saying those lines. It's both justified and also so tied together um, that it just just draws you right into the moment. And we have the benefit of knowing that each of the perspectives add something to our experience. Um, For example, it adds something that Connie is one of the narrators because she is passionate about basketball and about Manford specifically. And so her narration comes from the perspective of wanting Manford to succeed in the game, not for any other purpose than just that he's somebody she cares about. And so we get that beautiful perspective on the value of the game. You get the perspective of Saul, who's got a lot on the line for the American team to win the game. 
And that is hugely important to him because of his career. So he adds this sort of competitive, we get a perspective of who we as the audience are wanting to win the game when he narrates. Wang Chang has this perspective of fatherhood, of political uh, caution, of his career, his life, literally his life on the line in the context of the game. And then, of course, Manfred's incredible desire to show that uh, he, he has this great line in the middle of the play about why he wants to go to China and play in this game. And part of it is about like proving that he's not just a good basketball player for being Chinese, but then it's also his this great description of wanting like China to know what they've been missing out on because he hasn't been there. And later in the play, you realize he's, he's really talking about Wen Chang. He wants yeah. Wen Chang to know what he's been missing out on. Mm-hmm. So much of that last scene, for me at least, revolves around Wen Chang and 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 his choices. The choices certainly he has a lot of power in that last scene. He's one of the few people who could kind of say to someone in the room, "Stop the game," and the game would be stopped. Um, and 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 so when when uh, Manfred comes in and starts playing, you, the the slow um. The slow decision by Wen Chang to allow his son to continue playing despite all of the... I mean, when you listed his... All the other purposes that you listed of those three characters make a lot of sense. They're single purposes, right? Connie Connie wants Manfred to succeed. Saul wants the game to win so that his life, so that his life is secure. Um, uh, uh, Manfred wants to, wants to win so he can show um, what Wen, Ch- Wen Chang has been missing, the relationship between them. Wen Chang has like three things going on and yes and so we're watching him give weight to those three different things and wondering which one he'll choose and it has a lot of effect on how the play will end right in the way that sports stories do this so well this is really a great example of a script in which what is going on on the court is a representation of the clash of ideals that occur inside of the character. And in this case, Wen Chang is the character for whom that is the most true. All the other characters have got things going on, especially Manford. He gets into that little more complicated layer. But in Wen Chang, we find this these clashes of his worlds, his career as the coach of the University of Beijing, which we learn is maybe not a career he even really wanted, but it's what he has. His uh, The fact that he lives in communist China and he could be killed at any time for for the failure to do his job, for embarrassing the country. Uh, The fact that he knows Manfred is his son, but uh, has been absent from his life for his whole life. The fact that Saul is someone he actually does care about uh, that helped him, you know, begin this path of his career. I mean, there's all these things that put pressure on him to make a decision. And, and we've talked about this before. When the climax of the play is a character having to choose one thing over another, that is powerful drama. Yeah, that is, yeah, that's the meat of drama right there the, the, that creates big moments. And there's, there's like, there's, I think, 
I think I found two different moments where 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 you get the 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 gravity of that situation. There isn't even like a single moment where when Chang has to make it. There's a couple when Chang runs at, at, at towards the end of the the last moment of the quarter. Um, Manford makes tries to make a shot on the basket and gets punched in the face essentially <laughs> by one of the players because he's just he's turned a like a fifty point lead that the Chinese team had to a tie. Um, and so so one of the players punches him in the face and he doesn't make the shot but he gets a free throw that's the big drama at the end at the end of the at the end of the game and Wen Chang runs up to him runs up to him in the middle of the court and he describes the moment of realizing oh wait I shouldn't be doing this <laughs> but and and yet that pull that like father pull that Wen Chang feels pulls him into the center of the court and he has to step away and let Saul be the one who takes care of his player right and and he's running up to the injured manford just to be clear it's when he when manford gets hit and goes down and is lying this face injury on the floor that's when you see wen cheng run to him with a, an expression of serious concern i mean and his narration of his moment there is you know you see this kid and you you run to him but realize you're not you're not his father which you are i mean he is but he's saying he can't be he can't let that on yeah and then, of course, the final moment as well—the final, the final choice as to whether to stop the game at a tie, or to let him shoot his final shot—is right. the is the other big one. And he makes that decision and says, "You know, shoot your shot," and has to run away. I mean, it, it it's powerful to see the fact that she chooses to have him exit there. I think works really well because it lets you know the the power of the decision he just made. The fact that he allowed this to go on is so important that he can't stay. He has got to go. And so he runs away um, and is found by the government later, um, later in the context of the story. Now, what's interesting to me, Jackson, is that this stream of consciousness description of the basketball game, these pulling motives, this incredible scene is really the only spot in the play that's not just sort of uh, – sort of standard scenes. I mean, you get Wen Chang doing some kind of letter writing style narration that leads to scenes, but nothing like this. This is not like a convention of the script before this moment at the end of the game. The rest of the play is very much standard, uh, you know, realism, fourth wall kind of scenes between characters where they negotiate and they try to achieve goals. Manfred's trying to get on the team. Connie's trying to figure out why Saul is letting him on the team. Saul and Wen Chang are negotiating about back in this, you know, in the early 70s about how to coach this new basketball team. Then in the present moment of the play about whether Manfred's going to play. They're very standard fourth wall scenes, really well-written, incredible scenes. I'm not saying they're mediocre or anything they're great scenes but in their style they're not this stream of consciousness description incredibly uh climactic thing where they reduce the time and they they use representative actions and all of that so i don't know i'm interested in that idea that this is something sort of new that starts at the end of the play I think part of it is the 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 really compelling and interesting challenge of how do you have a basketball game happen on stage? How do you how do you uh, generate that kind of excitement, that sort of moment, the 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 adrenaline that's pumping in in players and in and in the crowd when you have four characters on a stage? Um, and 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 so I think that's that's how the playwright uh, Lauren Yi has. Um, 
decided to decided to make it happen. I think it's really effective. Um, I don't know. I, I agree though that it is. Um, Though, though there are some storytelling elements to Wen Chang's uh, character, especially who will kind of occasionally break in and and say something to the audience or say something out loud that is not to another character, um, I I think it is odd for the play to have it as the last scene, and yet it does draw attention to this magical moment of theater we're watching, where we're watching four people when we're in fact watching like you said, 10 people on the court and a crowd of people at a basketball game. Somehow we effectively join into that moment from these four characters excitedly narrating back and forth, quick lines, short lines, um, the, the, the action of the game. Yeah, and so I want to just read two moments here to highlight how significantly different Wen Chang's narration of the earlier letters that he's writing and this this style of stream of consciousness present moment description that's used for the basketball game. So this is a scene from earlier in the play. I'll just read just a line or two. This is Wen Chang doing kind of that narrative letter writing style. He says at the at the big game of 1971, we expected perhaps a handful of our colleagues, a couple party heads, to help us celebrate the American coaches last night in China. And then it goes on into another pretty normal scene between Wen Chang and Saul. Now listen to the very beginning of this stream of consciousness basketball game. I am going to use the F word just because it's in the script, so be aware of that. Uh, Saul, midday, Wen Chang, day of game, Saul, hot as fuck, Wen Chang, June in Beijing, Saul, on the bus, Wen Chang, riding out to the arena, Saul, the windows blacked out, Wen Chang, discreetly curtained so that you may focus on your task ahead. I mean, you can hear the narrations in the present moment, and it's not describing something that happened and then playing that scene. They are describing the action that is happening to them right now. And that's a very different look. And I, and I think you're right on when you talked about how it's a way of setting the basketball game moment as separate. These, it so effectively, to me, communicates the way that big moments in our lives take on this sort of flow of consciousness sense to us in the memories. It's moment by moment. You remember just these details sort of flying by you at the speed of light, and yet you get this storytelling big picture created. Right, right. Uh, out of small little beats, out of uh, out of things like blackened out windows on, on a bus, you, you, you generate these rich these rich experiences from these small little moments that, 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 that are then pieced together. And we see it. I mean, it's, it's really cool. I mean, that's, that's not a really, really like an academic thing for me to say, but it's just really cool to see it happen with four characters, each pinging off of each other and it all tying together, knitting together into one unified picture by the end of it. Right, and it's such a great example of what theater does as opposed to film, you know? I mean, right. it, the film of this story, which maybe they'll make it someday, will play out the basketball game. That's just how right. it will go. And in theater, we get a totally different kind of experience where the people that are invested in it tell us what happened as mm -hmm. it happens to them. And we see their sense of the moment in how they're telling the story. That's just so great. It's so cool. I, I we, We've talked about the end of the play quite a bit because it's such a cool moment of the play. Um, the other scenes are great, too. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm just riding high off of this play. But like the opening scene of the play, Manford comes in and he's pitching himself to Saul. And it's just like an I will. It's an I, an, or I will or a I am going to statement after statement. And he just walks in and just is is 
fierce, right? <laughs> like he's he comes in, he knows what he wants, he wants to get on this team, um, and he's 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 just in there. He's making Saul listen to him, and that 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 energy I think sets off and prepares us for that last scene. Knowing that Manfred is introducing this energy into the system sets us up to be be ready to receive that level of energy throughout the play. Right. And and it's it's sort of it's a little bit obvious, of course, what's going on because uh Manfred is telling the audience new information, right? It's the scene where we get a whole bunch of explanation of, of the context of the play and what's gonna happen in the course of the story and all that kind of stuff. But it's really nicely set up because it, it doesn't feel contrived. Because she's created a situation in which Manford has to introduce himself to someone on stage rather than you see so often in plays scenes where the that explanation, that character history has to sort of get wound into a like a high context conversation. But because this is a low context conversation, a conversation where the character of Manford needs to explain this is who I am and why I want to do this. We, as the audience, we sort of take the Saul perspective, the Saul side of that, and get to learn alongside of him. Yeah, we get the download from it, and then he then he goes one further. He's kind of like the the ideal x x x. What's the word? It's not explanation. It's x. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Theater word, um, giving of information to to us. Um, exposition, there it is. He is the ideal expositor of right, information yes. because he then, not only that, he then goes and researches Saul and returns the next scene and tells us a whole bunch about Saul. <laughs> It's because he's he's trying to he's trying to manipulate Saul into letting him onto the team. So we continue to learn more and more about the play every time Manfred is on stage. Well, and and the other thing that's so great is that what we learn about Manfred or what what he chooses to tell Saul in those initial couple of scenes is not entirely the case. Some convenient things are left out. There is an absolutely amazing moment. It's the second scene between Saul and Manford. Manford has confronted Saul outside of Saul's apartment and has brought in new information about the Beijing basketball team as a further way of trying to get himself onto the team and, and so that he can go to the game. And at the all that say, at the end of the scene, Saul has taken out some Chinese food from a, a carryout place, and Manford says, eh, you might want to be careful with that. I used to know, kind of know what was going on in the kitchen back there. Might be a little sketchy. And Saul says, well, I don't think it's going to be all that sketchy. I ordered the veggie. And, and Manfred says, definitely it has meat in it. And Saul says, why would they put meat in it if it was veggie? And, and Manfred says something to the effect of like, just so you know, Chinese folks sometimes leave out things that they don't feel are important. And that <laughs> becomes so, it's just such a great line because Manfred, I don't think at any point in the whole play, Play tells Saul <laughs> that Wen Chang is his father. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> an arguably very important thing. Um, and 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 Manfred in general uh, leaves out some information to two characters. He signs his own permission slip as his own father for him to go to China. Right, leaves um, out the, the the line is that Chinese people sometimes leave out inconvenient details is what Manfred says. And so the inconvenient detail that his uh, mother has recently died and he, his father is not around. So this permission slip he signed is not really from either of them. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> 
I do want to take just a second and 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 address Connie, who I think is such an an interesting character in this play because of her kind of. I mean, it's only strange because of my cultural context, clearly, but it is a little bit of a strange, I'm going to call it a bit of a strange relationship to Manford. She is uh, an upstairs neighbor of him and his mom's, and she has known him, assumedly, growing up the whole time, and her family has kind of taken in Manford now that his mother has died. So she clearly has this, like... It it like I said it like I said when I was synopsizing it has this almost she has a, almost an aunt tone or maybe an older sister tone she is in her twenties she is uh, either graduated or finishing up her last year in college she's studied abroad in Beijing so she she's the one who actually provides the crucial revelation for Manford that everyone on the on, on the University of Beijing's basketball team is seven feet tall which is his like in to get Saul to let him onto the team. So, so what do, what do you think of Connie as as a character, Jacob? As she's as she's kind of weaving her way through this story. Yeah, well, I think part of her purpose in the story is to give Manford someone that he has a high context relationship with, because both Saul and Wen Chang are people that Manford doesn't know at all in the course of the play and gets to know to some degree. But with Connie, he's able to have personal conversations about his real motives for doing things, the real feelings that are going on inside of him, the loss of his mother and things like that. Um, He's able to have those conversations with her because they're close. And that gives us that additional layer of understanding of why Manford does what he does. And this is Connie's explanation. This is what she says to Saul about her and Manford's relationship. Um, she's claim- In this whole scene with Saul, she has claimed to be Manford's next of kin, basically, his, his, the person who now has control over him because his mother died. Um, then at the end, uh, Saul says, you're his cousin, his next of kin, right? And Connie says, we're not actually related. He's not my real cousin. My dad's the super in our building. Manford's mom worked nights as a security guard, so we'd have him over for dinner. Chinese people are weird like that. And now that Manford's mom has passed, he is living with them, we learn. Actually sleeping on their couch. They are, for all intents and purposes, his family. Yeah, yeah. So so there's there's this like this almost chosen family level to Connie. I think I think probably less so for Manford. It seems a little bit more as if he was kind of his his babysitters became his family um and it's still it's still clear that he 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 values that relationship but i think for connie manford has become her chosen family um someone that that she she has um committed to taking care of and so that so she kind of comes into it and offers that perspective comes into the the experience of the play as that person who can watch from home when he's winning winning the game for the 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 whole country in this friendship match you can't see my air air quotes it's not very friendly well right and when push comes to shove and Manford has to decide whether or not he's going to bust into the game and play at the end of the play it's Connie who encourages him to do that and i think that's so crucially important because Saul's relationship to Manford is a relationship that is, I think, 
primarily transactional. In a longer version of this story, in a more sort of drawn out, classically sports kind of version of the story, Saul might like really grow to love the kid as well as the basketball player. <laughs> and at the crucial moment, he'd choose to protect the kid, even at the cost of his basketball career. And and they have a conversation that dances around that. Right, it, get, it gets close. But yeah. at, at the core of, the war, of this, what's going on is that Saul needs to win this game to keep his <laughs> career as a coach at the USF, uh, USF alive. And that's really his relationship to Manford. Whereas Connie has the ability to say, look, you went and saw your biological father. You are there. You have all these internal motivations for why this is important to you. Those are why you should play this game. Those are why you should break these rules, uh, uh, take the risk. Those motivations, as opposed to the Saul motivations of winning the game for America or the university or to prove that uh, American basketball players are superior or whatever, the real reason Manford is going to choose to take this risk and play this game are these high-context, internal, familial intensely personal reasons and only a character like Connie in the in the scope of the story we have could provide that to Manford. Mhm. Yeah, could provide that kind of kind of almost uh yeah, sage sageish family advice um that that yeah. can that can help him help him process that. And so, so then the other the other character that's not Wen Shang or Connie or Manford is Saul. And Saul is this just he is a foul-mouthed, cranky, <laughs> uh, uh, not all that great of a human in a lot of ways <laughs> kind of dude. And he is he's the uh, coach of the American team. And yeah. In, in some, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested in, in why you think she chose to write wrote Saul that way. Yeah, I, I mean, I wonder if it is a little bit of a slice of life. Um, I wonder he, he has the feeling of a a familiar character to the playwright. So I wonder if some of that could be involved too. Although on a on a on a thematic level, I think. Um, he he presents as such a rough exterior person. It's it, it, he he has these. He has just a foul mouth throughout it. He's 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 uh he's from the Bronx. He's Jewish, and so he's 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 a stark difference to Manford. <laughs> um, right, that's true. Especially, I mean, just the cultural differences between the characters are really highlighted in terms of the ideals that these two people come from in their communities. They do have sort of cross purposes in some ways. Right, Dif- different uh, uh, learned systems, <laughs> and 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 so some of, some of that is them kind of uh, coming up against each other, and and their two worlds colliding. There are frequent points where both of those characters will say to the other, "You just don't understand X," and it's almost always something from the spheres of existence that they are in. Um, so, so you, you get that kind of tension between those two characters. Um, and, and I think that's, 
that's certainly part of it. And I think the other part is is working like it's it's a it's a delightfully uh, familiar journey of working your way to the rich core of a person who is outwardly abrasive. Right, because we do get to see some of the heart of Saul that exists under the abrasiveness, as you said, of who he is. The other thing that works really well for the show is how contrasted Saul is to Wen Chang. I mean, part of the journey that Wen Chang is on is a journey of having grown up in the context that he did. He's this very cautious, uh, he's constantly accused of just standing still. Uh, and waiting, um, never doing anything, never making a move, never having an impulse. And that is so contrasted to Saul. And then you get Manford, who balances between them. Manford is known for being impulsive, rash, even somewhat abrasive. He's much more like Saul. And yet Wen Cheng is his father. He is the one that he's there trying to show himself to. Right, right. So you have these these two kind of father figures ish that he's 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 trying to appeal to, and he, but but it is different, right? Like he needs one to get to the other, and the relationship that uh, Manfred eventually begins to build with with Saul is is I, I think you're right is one kind of born out of necessity. Like they both need each other, and they end up coming to care about each other. Um, as, as opposed to, uh, Wen Chang and Manford, who both, Man, Manford kind of needs something from Wen Chang, and Wen Chang needs him to kind of go away. <laughs> um, and, and it's the journey of trying to figure out how those two purposes change. Um, because I think by the end of it, um, Manford doesn't need as much from Wen Chang as he does at the beginning. And Wen Chang accepts and 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 has to uh, allow Manford to to not go away to play the end of the game. Yeah, I mean what Manford needs from Wen Chang is an interesting question of the play. He Manford has this this part of his story that I'm fascinated by and that if I were directing this show I'd love to work with the actor playing Manford maybe in some improv sessions about this that as we've said Manford's mother dies just before the action of the play who is the, the woman that uh, Wen Chang had a relationship with way back in the early 70s and Apparently, Manford really didn't have much of a relationship with his mother at all, even though she was the one who raised him, because she didn't hardly speak any English at all, and she sort of prevented him from learning any Chinese, because she really wanted him to grow up and live this sort of American experience. And so they spoke different languages. I mean, he really grew up without any relationship at all to his mother. In fact, he, he's, he's at his basketball tryout at the, in the first scene of the play after having come directly from his mother's funeral. And he, he says something like, you know, who, the funeral I was at, it's, just, it's a person that doesn't really matter. She's dead and gone now. Uh, right. I'm on to the next thing. I mean, that, that's a painful way to grow up. To have that kind of distance from the only parent in your life. It's fascinating to me that Lauren Yee imagines that the, the parent who raises uh, Manford in America is the one that doesn't speak any English and doesn't want him to learn Chinese. Whereas his parent, who is the best English speaker in China, is the claim, right. is over in Beijing and is the one who wasn't around. And Manford is going to try to meet and 
confront, win over. There's something that he's trying to get out of that. And I think it must have something to do with that connection that he didn't get to have with his mother because of the language barrier. Yeah, I I wonder if it isn't what you described earlier on uh, about his just... I would want to play around with the idea of of him needing to show Wen Chang what he's missed out on. That seems to be a goal that that, that the script allows room for. Because if it is to get something from uh, Wen Chang, we get we we get the idea that he receives a letter at the end of the play, but we don't get to see Manfred's reaction to that letter. Um, but what we we do get to see is him showing Wen Chang what he missed out on. Um, we get to see him in in the game, playing the game that he wanted to play, actualizing that dream for himself. And we hear Wen Chang's narration as he is experiencing it and realizing this is this is my kid. And not only that, I see his mother's basketball game in him. He learned basketball from his mother. So he he we know that he sees um, what he has missed. So that that I I feel like is is a um, it's a rewarding journey to 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 wrap her all the way around on. We get rewarded if we hang in there for that. Just that Manfred can show Wen Chang what he has missed out on. We're running out of time here, but I I did just want to mention we won't have time to reflect on it. But I want to say how cool I think it is the way that Lauren Yi uses the metaphor of the pick and roll throughout the script. Pick and roll is the most common offensive move in basketball. And it's a move where one player acts as a screen for another player and the defense will typically end up blocking one or the other, the screen or the player who's pushing the roll. And the question then becomes, whoever the defense doesn't guard is the one who then takes the shot. If I've been watching the NBA playoffs, which has been a blast. I don't usually do that because of all the things that are left behind in sports. I've been paying attention to that and so it's been a blast and it's fun to read this play in the middle of watching the NBA playoffs because pick and roll is so common so I see it day after day game after game and to read how she uses that metaphor throughout the script has was just a joy yeah I agree there's so much of that there's so much of kind of vernacular that's worked into the play and and alas we're out of time again uh, <laughs> it is such a good play and it's and it's fairly a fairly short read I think it only took me like an hour and 15-ish minutes to read this play it moves at such a pace it's and yet it is so jam-packed full of rich things and and beautiful surprises we didn't we, we talked about it briefly at the beginning but the way that surprises come about in this play the way callbacks are made to things set up early on in the play is just stunning. It's stunning throughout. So when you read this play, see this play, are in this play, we'd love to keep talking with you about it. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter Twitter at the username at NoScriptPodcast. We also have a Gmail, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on any of those sites, and we'd love to get to talk about this play with you. That's right. We really do want to have those conversations. Please do reach out to us. I said last week, and I'll say again, recently had a conversation with a listener who expressed how great it is to be able to talk about plays, even just in the format of listening to us talk about them. And then he reached out. And so I'm I'm really excited to continue those kinds of conversations as Jackson is. We love them. Please, please do. And please recommend this podcast to other people. I'm assuming you probably know other people who like theater, like scripts, 
send them to Podbean. That's where we're hosted to uh, Google Play, to Apple Podcasts, to Spotify. We're on all those places. If you get connected and follow us on Facebook, that's where you can get the script that's coming up uh, when we'll release the script that we're going to do on the following Monday, on the Wednesday before. And then we post a link to the new episode every Monday on Facebook. That's a very easy way to find us. But if you're a Spotify person, that's a great place too. And then, of course, all the other ones that I mentioned. So connect with us somehow. Recommend us. We, we, we're we just so delighted to get to, to continue to do this and have those conversations. And we're very excited for the coming themed month in October. Yep, get excited for Monologue Month, everyone. Check it out, look ahead, see the scripts that are coming, and we will be excited to get to talk about those plays with you. But until next week, when we're talking about a non-monologue monologue month play, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for listening to No Script, the podcast. We'll see you.